Welcome back, everyone. It has been a while. You are listening to See Through Panel, a comic book discussion podcast. My name is Cole Harvey. I'm here with Fahed Rahman. Hello, everyone. And our guest today is Will McPhail. Will is a writer and cartoonist from Lancashire, England, living in Edinburgh. He uh, established at the heart of an exciting wave of new young contributors at The New Yorker. His work has been published in uh, magazines uh, such as uh, Private Eye, The New Statements, and he was the uh, winner of the British Cartoonist Young Cartoonist of the Year Award. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, and he's the author of In. Uh, so In, you probably know, is a book that we've reviewed before with a glowing review. Uh, if you haven't heard that episode, here's a brief rundown off the back of the book. Uh you can struggle through this, Will. I'm sure you already know all of this. Uh, Nick, a young illustrator, can't connect with people. Whether it's the barista down the street, his own family, or Ren, an, onco- an oncologist whose life becomes painfully tangled with his, Nick can't shake the feelings that there is some hidden realm of human interaction beyond his reach. He staggers through meaningless conversation and haunts lookalike vacuous coffee shops in the hope that he will find it there. But it isn't until Nick learns to stop performing and speak about the things that really matter the complex and colorful worlds of the people he meets are finally revealed to him. So, Will, I guess going straight into it, just to kind of get things rolling, my first question is, as a cartoonist for The New Yorker, um, how was it to make a full-on graphic novel, which I'm sure is a much bigger undertaking than, like, a strip? Uh, yeah. Uh, th- th- thanks, guys, by the way, for having me. I should say that. And I was, I was, I was about to say that was a really flattering, lovely intro, but then I remembered that I actually wrote that intro myself. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so, heard it and memorized it. And... Yeah. Um, no, it was, um, it was, at, uh, at first I thought it felt like it felt very freeing, um, to go from the, uh, the single panel, um, New Yorker work, which uh, they're, they're usually single panel, the things I do for them, uh, to the graphic novel because, well, all sorts of reasons. First of all, just like literally the space that I had on the page, the actual amount of paper that I could draw on um, was very sort of freeing. And um, and just, just the fact that I, with the single panel stuff, it's kind of, I have to squeeze in a, a, a premise, a setup, a punchline, a whole world into this one little panel whereas when i moved over to the graphic novel i could i could take things really slow and not be funny uh, on pages and build up things as 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 slowly and as gradually as i like and work about work on arcs and things like that and so it felt very freeing in that respect and then when i'd finished the book and sort of properly dive back into the New York cartoons again. I was like, oh no, this is the freeing thing. I can write about <laughs> pigeons and pistachio nuts and it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to think about how it will affect the arc later on. So I've kind of, uh, I've landed somewhere where it's, it feel, it, they just feel like different muscles and that I've kind of uh, got to keep active in both so that I don't get rusty. It just, just feels like a change of gear and now kind of, one feels like a break from the other, which is a, a nice way to be. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, pigeons there. So a lot of your uh, New Yorker cartoons feature pigeons. So, yeah. um, How long my, did it take? Have we, we've been off for three minutes and I mentioned pigeons. Yeah. So kind of my, my, my question uh, uh, to you is this, basically. Would you rather fight one horse-sized pigeon 
or a hundred pigeon-sized horses? I knew I know this usually this question's framed as ducks, but considering yeah. um, pigeons is is one of the your favourite things to draw, I, I thought I'd frame it <laughs> that way. Uh, hundred hundred pigeon-sized horse. Wait, hundred pigeon-sized horses, horse-sized pigeons. So, so you've got one horse, uh, one uh, pig, one. Sorry, you've got a pigeon that's the same size as a horse. Okay, yes. so you can fight that, or you Brilliant. can fight a hundred um, horses that the same size as a normal pigeon would be. Okay, and question uh, number A, definitely the big pigeon 100%. because well, 100%. what? <laughs> I think anyone that chooses to fight a horse-sized anything is out of their mind. No, you've got to think let me. Okay, well, let on. me tell you why. Because I am a lover, not a fighter, and within <laughs> within th- within three minutes, I will have got that big pigeon on my side, and then it's world domination <laughs> for me and the pigeon. And it's just it's just going to be like Avatar, where we connect via some. Hate to get it on back onto connection, but <laughs> oh, don't <laughs> connect like in Avatar. That's going to be gross. <laughs> a weird sort of twisty vine thing comes out of the pigeon's cloaca, and. <laughs> 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 and then, and then it's the, off to the races, and I'm just the guy who's flying around the UK on a massive pigeon. <laughs> Chloe Acre, by the way, I'm yeah. just dro- just dropping my zoological yeah. knowledge in there. Yeah. It's Latin, Latin for drain. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, thank you for that. So I'm um, kind of like, yeah, going back into like the uh, the drawing of kind of the the. the of of in i was reading your previous kind of like interviews and i can't remember which one it was mentioning but you kind of when you were approached about maybe uh writing a book you maybe considering writing a straight novel and that's something you moved away from in the yeah. creation process is that is that something that you might think about doing in the future or do you want to kind of continue on this journey of kind of writing long longer form graphic graphic novels or um uh, comic books uh yeah am i um i can definitely see myself doing it at some point writing just a straight novel but i think i not i don't think right now uh, just uh, not because i would don't want to but uh, i uh, this graphic not in was the first first thing that i've written and yeah like you said i it, i had originally thought that it would be a straight graphic novel and Whilst talking to my editors and my agent at the time, Heather, we kind of all realised just how much more comfortable I was expressing complex ideas uh, visually as opposed to with words. And so for the first book, I kind of I thought the best thing to do was to just do what came natural to me and follow my instincts and just follow yeah what felt right in the moment and that was what felt right then it was what I felt most comfortable doing and so and I really enjoyed that and it felt so natural and flowing um that uh, I can see myself doing that again at least in the in the in the short term but yeah one day I might write a a novel I think I've got a lot to learn though I think to do before I do that I am Literally just pumping my fist in the air at the idea of you making another graphic novel. So, like, <laughs> oh, cool. uh, yeah. Great. Um. So I, I'm. I write comic books as well, and so I'm always kind of interested in, um, especially with solo creators, what their what their process is. Do you start off with a script, or do you kind of like sketch out individual pages? Kind of, what's your process in terms of getting those strange things that go on go inside in between your 
ears yeah. and getting yeah. it down on the page. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I feel like I feel like I'm not uh, qualified to talk about my process uh, yet because I, I, as I said, it's, this is the first thing I've done. Yeah. So I just have the way that I did it that time, which was just like a manic blur of buying notepads and having panic attacks and <laughs> 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 just scribbling ideas. Yeah, the the way that I did do it was it was weird. I, I almost had to kind of make the thing twice, where I kind of yeah wrote it all. Or, or a, a roughish version of it, and then had to remake it again with all the illustrations. But yeah, I sort of wrote out a, a simplified version of where the whole story would go, and then kind of just chronologically worked through it with the drawings and uh, and and uh, refining the dialogue as I went along. Um, so yeah, it was. But I don't know if that was the right way to do it. It's just kind of what I kind of naturally fell into and uh yeah like I say when you when you're doing it, it it really is a sort of a blur of decisions that you have kind of or at least I had no control over and I'm it, it feels weird kind of retroactively kind of make sense of it because at the time it just felt mental yeah I was listening to um an expert excerpt from Tarantino's interview with with Joe Rogan and he says he kind of mentioned how his creative process his writing process has changed over the years like before it'd be kind of like he didn't he didn't use these words but it very much sounded like you know cocaine late filled late nights kind of like just writing out um writing out his scripts and now right. more recently for his for his more re I'm not suggesting you've got cocaine filled no mine, mine was the know. same but it was kind of late <laughs> late night delivery meals from Kurdish best the kebab yeah. shop across <laughs> my hat. what he what he does now is that he's just turned it into a day job so he'll start kind of like writing from like nine o'clock in the morning till about four o'clock and then he'll yeah. go for his women just have all those ideas kind of percolate so these things do change over time yeah right oh my god i hope so i always <laughs> i always try to do that and it just naturally kind of degrades and the hours get shifted toward further to the night and then I end up staying up later and then having to get up later and i just yeah i hope i can get that kind of structure back in my life it's weird it's i i've i've never had structure in my job the only the, the the New Yorker work is literally the only structure that I have because there's a there's a submission day each week and so my my world kind of works around that Tuesday where I build up to it and have the get the work on the ideas and then draw them out and then send them on the Tuesday and because I sort of cut back on the New York cartoons while I was doing the book all structure went out the window and I was just floating in space. <laughs> So you were basically full time on this book. I mean, full time in the sense that this is this is your only job in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I've um yeah. It's been uh, the cartoons have been my main uh, my only job for for a little while now. Yeah, kind of um uh, since uh, since coming out of university, pretty much. How long would you say it, it took you to make this thing from from start to finish? Oh, uh, probably about from from very first. Uh, sort of coming up with the ideas to put the proposal together about two years and about 18 months of like properly working on it i would say wow so yeah and the 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 bulk of that work going on throughout the uh, the lockdown here in the uk yeah i think it's one of those things that people don't realize how long it takes to yeah put a put a book together and kind of oh i know the the thing about a picture speaking a thousand words they forget how fucking long it takes to draw a picture yeah, <laughs> yeah that's 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 true so um i, I, I realize we haven't kind of talked about 
the book at all which is kind of like why we're why we're here today oh, yeah. um so oh, um, yeah. we just uh let's let's try and segue into that a little bit so this yeah i think in our in our review of it we're kind of both mentioned how much we enjoyed reading it and kind of the, the obvious question is when you've got you know one character in the book is kind of asking the creator kind of how much of themselves are in those characters are kind of like how much of yourself is within nick and kind of you know are there other kind of you know characters from your life that have uh, kind of made their way into into the book as well yeah there's um the the, the book is uh, i think it's it was pr- promoted as sort of semi-autobiographical it's the, yeah. it, it, it's it's semi-autobiographical in a in a few ways that in sort of to different extents so first of all, it's it's it's, it's quite autobi- autobiographical in the humour. You'll find a lot of autobiography there, um, just because there's a lot of humour in there that I felt like comfortable getting away with and using because it felt kind of self-deprecating towards me. So that kind of autobiographical part of me is in it, in the fact that I'm teasing myself in a lot of the humour, like you know the 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 um hipstery coffee shops and things that i'm sort of teasing yeah. throughout the book i actually love those and the reason that i know so much about them is that i'm always in them and so it felt like i i could do that because i was sort of mocking myself and the, you know there's like there's a part where ren is kind of teasing nick about being a woke boy and i only felt comfortable doing that is because <laughs> because i am a woke boy <laughs> and so it felt like i it felt self-deprecating and i felt like i could I was teasing myself as opposed to somebody else being woke, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's a lot of that. Uh, I obviously there's whenever I answer that question, I can feel the people that are asking me going, "Yeah, but who died? <laughs> <laughs> Who's dead?" <laughs> and yeah, um, that yeah, there's that there's that too. It's yeah, the, the, I feel like it's probably clear that um, the the more serious, sadder stuff is drawn from my own experience. I did. I didn't mean to to write about. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> I, I you were doing this for eighteen months, Bill. You can't really say you didn't mean to do it. <laughs> I did. No, when I set out, I didn't mean to write about um, uh, grief and loss. I don't know how many spoilers we can talk about in this, yeah. but the, yeah, oh. it covers those those themes. And I didn't set out to write about those things, but. I'd had this idea that uh, about exploring the worlds um, within people, and the, like the very next thought that I had was one of those worlds had to be lost, and it was a really, uh, really cathartic kind of revelationary moment for me because, uh, like, in having that thought, was the first time that I'd properly put my finger on uh, how I felt about the people that I'd lost in my life. It, and that's how what it felt like. It felt like I'd um, there were these whole worlds that I'd lost that I um, hadn't had a chance to explore. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, I pulled myself off the shower floor. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> and thought, okay, I well, I now I have to write about that because yeah. um, I feel like I can uh, not just for my own catharsis, but I, but because I, I I felt like I could write about it authentically and it, it felt like it fit in the book and that I could do it justice. So yeah, that's the kind of the autobiographical elements yeah. of it. So I mean, kind of the, the analogy that you use there, kind of having lost the world it's it's so eloquently and beautifully 
you know the way that you uh, illustrate and and talk about it within kind of the, the confines of the book it's so kind of like touching it really kind of um struck a nerve with me kind of you know as i kind of explained in in the review kind of i i lost my mother not so long ago and kind of the way that you um talk about grief really helped me um through that process kind of put into words kind of some of the things that i was feeling at the time so yeah um I personally thank you for that but it's just it's so well done and kind of it's 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 a it's a beautiful analogy that you kind of use there kind of you know talking about losing losing access to a world wonderful man oh that makes me so so happy thanks so much for that right that's me i'm leaving (laughs) (laughs) um so you kind of uh you kind of mentioned uh you know the the hipster coffee shop so it would behoove me to to kind of ask you kind of how do you take your coffee and kind of like what's your kind of a uh, favorite uh snack to to have along with it just to oh, I, uh, move up a bit uh my problem is that i uh i change my usual at my coffee shop every so every two or three weeks or so just to stop the coffee shop from getting too close to me emotionally but right now i'm on right now i'm on a fairly grown-up drink uh, i'm on a, a americano or a long black with milk yeah. But uh, I, for a long time, I would just wanted the milkiest, sweetest thing possible. So a uh, caramel macchiato with extra milk kind of thing, which is what Nick is like in the book. But now I'm, I'm long black with milk. Oh, I'm with Nick right now. I'm drinking the sweetest coffee you've ever had in your life. <laughs> yeah, and I'll take a, I'll take a croissant. It take, um, but when we sort of, when the world sort of opened back up again, and I started, I started being able to actually go into coffee shops. I was still kind of a bit like a uh, like Bambi on ice in terms of like talking to people and using small oh, talk yeah. like like mm. there is in the book and um the, the that coffee shop they usually go to I, I got the coffee and then got a croissant as well and the um the barista served me said uh, do you want a napkin with that with the croissant and I went I sort of panicked and <laughs> just said uh, no I've got one I've got one at home like I have one now <laughs> I have one <laughs> napkin was sitting waiting for me, out. and she just looked at me like, "What does that mean?" And I just sort of ran away. Yeah, kind of was embarrassing. I'm, st- I'm still trying to find my feet talking to people. To be honest, it's weird. I, I kind of lost that ability. Yeah, I think I know. I know exactly kind of what you're talking about. I've been out on a few couple of kind of dates during kind of lockdown, kind of these socially distanced one, and kind of. They're quite difficult because I'm not the best of small talkers at the, at, at the um, best of times and just going out kind of cold without having that regular bouncing off of other people can yeah. make the conversation quite uh, quite strained. Yeah. So, yeah. It's been yeah. an interesting side effect of the quarantine because as a person who I feel like was just coming into myself socially when this started, I've lost it all. I've, I have no right. idea how to talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. The worrying thing is that I forgot things about me. Like, the um, I'd, uh, again, <laughs> I mean, there's another story about me coming out of a coffee shop. But um, I, I ordered a coffee and then came outside, and they've got a little bench where you're supposed to sit and wait for them to bring out your coffee. And it's only small, and there was a woman sat on the bench on one end, and I obviously didn't sit on it because that's the world we live in now. But then I mm. thought, would I have sat on it before? Like, would I? Would that have been a suitable distance for me to sit next to somebody before? And I genuinely couldn't remember what I would have done. <laughs> like that, like that social part of me is just yeah. lost. I don't know whether I would have done it. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a good suppose, point. Honestly, yeah, that, that you know that, that you know that is a good point. The kind of um, 
I think another phrase I I heard you uh, mention in one of your previous interviews is kind of like the dance of conversation. And I think that kind of trying to get back into that rhythm of doing um, small talk and, or even big heavy talks is, is yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Or maybe just don't, if the message of the book is that you are supposed to say meaningful things that matter to you, maybe we just don't need the small talk anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, when you, so the book itself, it kind of, it really rewards um, rereading lots of times. And, I was just kind of uh, wondering kind of how much thought did you put into kind of the, the structure of it? Because it's only on my second read through where I realized, so the, not to, I don't think it's giving too many spoilers away, but at the, the start, the book starts with um, a story of you, well, of Nick at a, a swimming pool going down a slide. <laughs> and then it's only on my second read through that I realized that the, this kind of like the, uh, helix nature of the slide actually forms a blue eye yeah. at the end, and that's not mm-hmm. that's not something I picked through, uh, picked up. So I was just wondering, how do you think about that as a creator? Because you know, as when, when I'm kind of like creating stuff, it's just it's it's enough hard work to kind of actually just write the basic story of kind of A B C. So I was just wondering, you know, how long you know how long do you take thinking about kind of different structural things? Yeah. Like uh, yeah, um, generally, uh, the, yeah, there's a few of those kind of little nods and things throughout the book, and um, or just or just little bits of humor in the background that you might yeah. gloss over the first yeah. time. Yeah. Um, honestly, that that stuff was a, a an attempt to slow people, uh, an attempt at pacing, my, um, an attempt to slow people down through the book, and and so that they wouldn't sort of tear through it in. The forty minutes that literally everybody has told me they read it in, <laughs> um, yeah. As, um, so a lot of it was that me trying to make people take their time through the pages, but the, it, specifically that title page with the 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 sort of toilet bowl thing that looks like the eye. Um, that was uh, literally the very last thing I did in the book. We didn't have a title page, and I um, went back and did it and started drawing the look of that sort of coin thing slide. And yes, realized that it looked like one of the eyes that I'd drawn previously in the book, and so yeah, it was it, it uh, in the in the chrono in the uh, I can't say the word chronological order that I drew the book. It was a throw, it was a callback, but because it's at the start, um, yeah, it's almost like a precursor or a sort of a, a little taste of what's coming. Yeah, I was very pleased. I'm very pleased with it uh, that people pick up on those little things. That's really yeah. nice. It's um, that's really curious because it just it does make me wonder, kind of, you know, the creative subconscious, kind of like what's because obviously that that you know it must have been lurking in the back of your mind. Exactly yeah. that that um uh that would happen. Uh, yeah. I'm curious about honestly the in terms of the construction that you're talking about. When you, you're going to make a graphic novel, right? And you're usually making these one panel images. Uh, Do you like research how people pace graphic novels? Do you research layouts? Do you have like a background? Like, are you a fan of comics? So you know how to put a graphic novel together? Or are you just winging it the whole time? (laughs) It's a lot of, a lot more of the last one. No, I am a, no, I am a fan. Um, uh, uh, I've got a weird sort of, blank period in my um appreciation of comics and and just artwork in general when i was a kid i just read 
first first of all, these British comics that uh, I don't know if you know, don't know them called, but like the uh, the Beano and Dandy and things yeah. like that. And then uh, and then found Calvin and Hobbes and just read that religiously for oh, years yeah. and and just uh, like obsessed it and uh, obsessed over it and knew every line and every drawing. Um, and then there's a kind of a dark period where I I, I, I was still drawing myself, but kind of lost lost influence, artistic influence. And I, di- I didn't read any kind of comic books in terms of you know superheroes and stuff. That was just never my thing. Super into comedy and uh, and um, the creative world in general, but it, it wasn't until much later in my life when I started getting into car- uh, doing cartoons as a job that I really found graphic novels again. And um, I mean, yeah, like Liana Fink and Aaron Williams and things like that, and a- Adrian Tommy and things like that. But um, interestingly, th- when when I was doing the book, I, I I really tried not to read anything like that or any anything that was a direct directly in that medium, just because I was scared that I would that I would try to be that or rip it off and I was um you know or trying to sort of crowbar in something that shouldn't be there or that wasn't me and so I kind of actively tried to go against what I'd seen in other graphic novels and tried to make something that felt not only authentically me but like maybe felt like something that people hadn't seen very often or it didn't was in some way original um so yeah, that was uh, that, that was a uh, but yeah, mostly me winging it is the truth. I was just it, it, I was just trying to do the 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 each decision by decision, the next thing that felt right to me, and then just trying to be honest to that. Yeah, it's there's a couple of things I want to uh, talk about, kind of from, from that answer. Kind of, it's um it's really interesting how many people have a dark period in their graphic novel or comic book reading life cycle kind of like a lot oh, of really people, yeah i mean um i um i speak to a lot of people well i speak to a lot of comic book readers and a lot of them mention oh, you, you know, i really loved reading them as kids and then i think kind of around the age of 13 14 15 16 they kind of they either really go down the superhero route or they kind of fall out of it until they go back into college or university right yeah that that's exactly happens, what happened that, that happens to kind of um everyone a, a lot of people like a, right a, a lot people. I, I i tried at it for a while and it but it, it, it did feel more i was i felt like i was sort of performatively liking spider-man and those and the superman stuff and i didn't it didn't really connect with me i, I don't know why the art is wonderful the stories are amazing but i i don't i don't know why they didn't click i just yeah it just turns on the light or it doesn't i guess yeah. And yeah, kind of the, the other thing I wanted to kind of ask you about is that you, you mentioned that you were kind of staying away from reading um, other kind of graphic graphic novels. And I think that's something a lot of creators rub up against. I know I specifically remember uh, listening to, to Bill Burr talking about him avoiding listening to other uh, stand-ups in case their stuff, their gags accidentally osmos into yes. his brain. And he kind of like, it comes yeah. out somewhere and you, you know, you can't, so it's that very hard line of, um, that very difficult yeah. line to traverse where you exactly. want to be inspired, but you don't want to steal. Right. Totally. And, uh, or not just, not just steal, but like force stuff in like that shouldn't, that, that shouldn't be like, like the two examples are useful. Like if I was reading, uh, like commute by Aaron Williams at the time, I, I would feel, I would start to feel like, Oh, maybe I should be putting more sort of gritty social issues into this. Or I was, or if I was reading, 
um, Liana Fink's graphic novel, uh, Passing Few Men, I would be thinking, oh, maybe I should be more experimental with uh, narrative and timeline. And I'd be trying to push things into my work that didn't, that wasn't supposed to be there, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, also, the as a creative person, the thing that you're trying to find is your your own voice, your own authentic voice. And um, the best way to find that is to just kind of be alone with it for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of absolutely, absolutely um, agree with that. You, you mentioned, sorry, I'm ho- hugging, hugging the conversation here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of mentioned... Um, uh, Calvin Hobbs as as one of your favorite um, strips. Um, I find that like, Bill Watterson's like creative journey really interesting. Kind of, he's you know he did the strips for a while, and then he decided right now I'm stopped doing that and going off yeah. and um, become a, a a painter and just yeah. not engage um, uh, at all with like the commercial side of it or like yeah. the fandom that are trying to uh, bring him kind of like. Uh, back in kind of what what do you kind of make of that yeah i think about that all the time the selling the the selling billy watts bill watson's um stance on selling out think about it all the time um it uh, most of the time i i'm in the i'm in the the camp of thinking it's noble and brilliant because these are beloved characters and then other times i think if i when i was a kid Oh, forget that. Right now, when as an adult, and somebody said you can have this beautiful, tastefully made Hobbs doll. You know, Hobbs as a doll. I would have loved it, and it wouldn't have ruined any part of the work that he'd done. And so, something like if it was a, if it was like a credit card advert or what, or a life insurance advert, and it was it was Calvin standing there going, "Buy life insurance because you never know what will happen." And then Hobbs jumps on him. Right? That's horrible. Like, don't do that to our beloved characters. But I would have, I think there's a way of doing it that doesn't tarnish the the legacy and the work. And I would have loved a Hobbs doll. I still would. <laughs> so I uh, I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm at the point where I totally respect it because he, because he feels like it would compromise his work. Yeah. Um, I- but it's not what I would have done. Yeah, I think there there's kind of a balance to yeah. be kind of struck, str- and I hate that I hate that phrase selling out. I yeah. don't I don't I don't really I don't really know what that means. No. But yeah. So, but it's um it's, it's it's one of those things. Cole, is there something you'd like to? I've just been aware. I've been asking a lot of, of, of oh, questions. No. I mean, I'm, I've just got the book in front of me, and I'm just thinking about. I, I just have a bunch of process questions, and that can get boring. But no, um, go ahead. I don't mind. I'm. I'm just curious of like the medium you use to draw all this and the differences between working with that um, shades of gray charcoal look and then your the full color painting. Because when that hits, besides the title page with the blue, I had forgotten the book was good. I didn't know the book was going to have color until that first moment with the with the plumber. And it just uh. blows it blows the reader away the first time they see it. So what are the two different styles like? How different is it to, to make those different pages? Yeah, well, um, oh, that's that's so great to hear. I, I've had a I've had a couple of people say that they like flipped through it first, and I was like, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, you kind of really need to fall upon that first color page, don't you? Um, yeah, uh, the 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 grayscale black and white stuff is I'm very is exactly like my New Yorker cartoons, and in fact, I kind of tried to lean on whatever cachet I had with 
my New Yorker cartoons as a juxtaposition for the coloured things, if you know if you know what I mean. People would think, okay, he's just doing what he did with the New Yorker cartoons and that's mm. what it's going to be like, so that those coloured pages would be all the more impactful. But yeah, I'm... Um, I'm pretty old school in terms of the the um, process. Those those um, black and white parts of the book are a pencil on watercolor paper with watercolor. That's kind of it. A little bit of ink for the uh, like the pupils of the eyes and the very dark mm-hmm. bits. Um, so yeah, pretty old school. And and um, and then uh, the color parts are some a kind of a mixture of both. Sometimes I've sort of started with watercolors again and sort of touched it up digitally and um yeah they're they're a mix a lot of those ones um yeah uh the the color pages they're they're again they're they're sort of um my attempt to describe that just how the more than anything the difference of how of how the of how a conversation can change from what feels like a performance of a conversation into a genuine connection. I did when when that's happened to me in the past, it's felt so unrecognizably different from what came before it um, that I wanted to make something that that felt completely different when you turned the page. And um, like yeah, like I said earlier, again, um, I, I've always been more comfortable put, uh, getting those complex ideas across visually, and so that's just sort of what came naturally for me to do to sort of change the color there. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's um, kind of those pages are really that stunningly that I was actually, you know, I think Cole described it perfectly. It's kind of, I was stunned when I first saw the, um, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the full kind of like color p- p- pages. I was like, Oh, what? Oh, this has gone in a di- different direction now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, it was. A, it was a. It was. A, they're the. Yeah, they're obviously the sort of the key to the book. It was a. They're. They're. They're the keys to the book. They're also sort of part of the struggle of the the hurdle that I kept coming up against. Like it was this. The writing process was this constant thing of like, how do I, how do I show the readers who these people, who these characters are, when the whole point of the book is that you don't know who they are yeah (laughs) and uh, and, uh, it's like early on in the writing process i was getting really frustrated by just how much of nick there had to be in the book and um and how sort of necessarily um like self-obsessed that needed to be for for him to have for for the to have to be so much of him in it and that's sort of after speaking to editors and stuff and talking it over we kind of accepted and realized that it had to be that way i i couldn't have a scene of of hannah or ren sort of on their own being their authentic selves because that would be the whole point of the book out the window that's yeah. what the color pages are and so uh when it, the fact that you sort of don't truly know who the characters are until those color pages are what keeps nick craving and keeps nick and the reader craving those color pages turning over and so yeah, it was a. It was I was constantly having to kind of hold myself back from giving too much of, say, Ren or Hannah away, so that when those color pages came, not only would they be all the more impactful, but they would also give the reader a license to fill in those gaps that I kind of had to leave, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Themselves. So I don't know why I've written this note down. It might have come from 
another interview I've, I've, I've read of yours and the, the note is kind of like drawing the same characters over and over again. And that kind of, it kind of relates back to kind of your, your, you know, your, your answer there in terms of having to draw Nick in all these different kind of like um, situations. Yeah. Found, it sounds like you found that a little bit um, frustrating, but you know, it's something that you had to go through for the, the overall arch of the book to make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, to stay too, true to the premise. Yeah, um, that that's interesting in terms of just the shifting back to process again. That was an interesting learning experience for me. I, I've never ever had to draw recognizable characters over and over again. You know, I I never had to ask the reader to recognize somebody because I was just doing uh, uh, single panel things where it's just this fictional person that's there and then never seen again. And so um, when I was before I sort of started drawing in anger, I kind of um, had to almost do these embarrassing little um, rehearsal sort of sessions with myself where I would rehearse drawing what Ren looked like and what Nick looked like so that they would be, you know, recognisable on each page. It was interesting. I'd never had to do that before, and yeah. it was a fun experience. Well, there are some recurring characters in your in your um, New Yorker strips, like Lady No Kids, for example yeah yeah or just yeah yeah there's i've got this guy who sort of shouts really nice things in an aggressive way but like (laughs) shouts at waiters about how lovely the meal was and how he got a great time and he's cropped up a couple of times yeah Yeah, (laughs) um so i was gonna ask you about so there's there's one sequence in the book that I, i wanted to um ask you about and it's when Nick is on a Zoom call, and I was just wondering <laughs> when that particular sequence was written and drawn, and was that kind of like something you had before lockdown happened, or was it kind of like <laughs> afterwards, or you know when because that kind of perfectly kind of that you know you know Nick kind of being in a, a Zoom meeting here is absolutely no reason to be there for and just kind of like falling asleep was yeah. just something in my life yes I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no interestingly uh the first original idea for that was drawn like years ago I, I, it was a it was a like again single panel submission to the new yorker that was a just that first image of the of a person on a video call with like a, a, the background cleared around them you know, the sort of first bit that where Nick's shifting all his stuff away, mm-hmm. um, which they rejected. How dare they? Outrageous. <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, yeah, it suddenly became it's uh, everybody's life during the lockdown. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the call, I'm sure you're the same. Yeah, I've been on a thousand of those calls where you feel like it's just a boardroom of people who are just competing with each other and uh, towards the end just become completely unaware that you're even there <laughs> and, yeah. they're just, and they're just like oh it's obviously just a, a like a, a a hierarchical process thing where they're just vying for positions and trying to show each other how good at their job they are and I'm sitting there thinking why what shall I do though yeah give me yeah, some information I've, I'm very much kind of like kind of another reason it kind of struck home with me is because I uh, I work in marketing and right. kind of all that you know, wanky speak about like what direction something's going to be going in and stuff like that is just like oh yeah I yeah, yeah I know I I completely I've been in this I've been I've, I'm pretty sure I've been in this exact same conversation so yeah, yeah. It was people, like, yeah people who people describe themselves as the kind of person who likes ideas and are yeah. into ideas i also just love uh 
for some reason, I, a lot of my cartoons have got the, the the word Susan in them or Susie, which is a <laughs> which is actually a um, an homage to Bill Watterson and the character Susie in that. Um, but I, I've now shifted to Kieran, and I can't stop saying Kieran in my cartoons. And Kieran is one of the people on that call who's sort of the butt of the joke in the end. <laughs> I don't know why Kieran's a funny name for me to shout at people. That's <laughs> quite. That's 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 quite a bit. Um, so just looking at the time, we're coming up to yes. forty minutes. So, um, so oh my God, in, that went fast. Yeah, in has been. Um, I think it's received a lot of critical acclaim and i was just wondering kind of what's what's happening next i know you kind of back working on the the, the strips for the new york new yorkers just wondering what's your next uh uh project is it going to be long form short form is it going to be visual audio n- narrative non-fiction kind of what's the uh what's a the play game? maybe a play <laughs> Interestingly, interestingly enough, I got that email the other day about somebody wanting to put the in on the stage. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, I'm contractually obliged to do a next. Uh, when I um, got, signed the book deal for this, it was a two book deal, um, at least on the American side, where I the second one is a cartoon collection. So I have to do that first. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, thinking about the next graphic novel so i'm going to do that um i'm sort of i don't feel any kind of need to it's it, first of all it's not in any form that i can um understandably talk about it was yeah. it's just a soup of nonsense but um uh i i, I kind of don't feel the urge to strike too quickly i i think that that kind of isn't how this book came about so i'm going to wait until i have a good idea as opposed to just you know writing because i feel like i have to um but yeah definitely going to it's weird as i keep saying because that was my first one i'm now and and it was just this blur of decisions manic decisions i'm now having to kind of sit down and think okay uh how did i do that (laughs) about the next one so it's uh it's interesting um but yeah, I'm definitely going to do another one. I think. Yeah, it, like writing comics, creating comics is really, it's really fucking difficult, and yeah. especially long form stuff. Um, it takes like so much time and effort, and unless like you've got an idea in your head of you know that's really you're really passionate about that you've got to get out there, then I think you're probably right. It's probably best to leave it alone for yeah, a while until yeah. you can kind of um put into yeah. kind of a, 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 a tangible thing like play yeah i'm really really fortunate in that i can that i've got this sort of just constant compass to point towards in the new yorker where i can go back to that and keep doing it and sort of i don't feel pressured to um to do another one before i'm ready so um yeah i yeah definitely i'm gonna wait for the right thing to come up and um I don't know if this is you've been approached about this um, before, but in terms of because your artwork is so gorgeous, I'm wondering if you've been approached by writers or um, other publishers in terms of maybe collaborating with them on 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 maybe different dif- dif- different projects rather than kind of working solo. Is that or would you prefer to work solo, or is that the collaborative thing not interesting to you? Uh, no, um, uh, nobody's come. No, 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 nobody's asked me if they want to do a book with me or, or a couple of uh, a couple of people over the years so a kids book and stuff like that um i I've, i have worked collaboratively uh, collaboratively on little things in the past like shouts piece for the pieces for the new yorker if somebody's uh, friends of mine have written a piece i'll illustrate it for them i think with 
something bigger like this, I think I would want it to be um, my own as opposed to collaborating. Not, I'm, not, not because I have anything against collaboration. It's, I think you can do wonderful things with it, and I really enjoy it. But I personally, I've always found... Um, I've always found that my best work is when I'm really able to sort of um, is where I can really sort of dig in and be totally self-reflective and spiral down into myself and find some, find something good um, in solitary, in solitary situation. So I think I would, I would rather do that than um, work on somebody else on, on a big project. Yeah. That's yeah. I can kind of uh, as a as a writer, I don't really have have a choice. I need to kind of unless I just start deciding learning how to draw now at the age of um thirty nine. I've got to I've got to find a way of convincing um, artists to, to to work with me. Well, there's no right way of drawing, yeah, man. Yeah. It, it can all be beautiful. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Speak yeah. for yourself, Will. You sound gorgeous. Um, Will, can you tell people where um our listeners? Can you tell people? Can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes. You can find me on uh, Pornhub. You just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, You can find me on... Uh, I think I'm just... Yeah, I'm Will McPhail on Twitter. And I'm Will McPhail 4 on Instagram. Don't ask me why 4. There were three other Will McPhails before me. Remove them. That I murdered them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, Loki variants. Um. <laughs> there's a guy. There's actually it's so annoying. There's a guy who has my Instagram handle, just Will McPhail. And um, first of all, he follows me, which is annoying <laughs> by itself. He keeps he liking knows. my. He keeps like he keeps liking my photos, and I keep getting tagged in his girlfriend's photos. <laughs> 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 she makes a mistake for me uh, so I'm sitting here a single sad guy on his own in his flat getting tagged in the real Will McPhail's photos with his beautiful girlfriend it's horrible just live vicariously through the other Will you know that's there, <laughs> exactly. there is there's like there, there is a story in there yeah so thank you so much for for taking the time to to speak to us uh oh, today. My my absolute pleasure, guys. And I, I I listened to the first podcast that you guys did. Oh, I I listened to it until you started being so nice to me that I yeah. started to fear for my ego and had to turn <laughs> it off again. It's already a runaway train, my ego, and I thought it will be irreparably damaged if I listen to the rest of this. But thank you so much for the, all the kind words. Yeah, thank you for um for writing in. It is uh, out now, guys. We highly recommend um. You go out there and buy it. Um, for me, it's my book of the year, uh, which Same. was kind of a you know uh, a bit of a shock when I read it. Kind of because it's so early on in the year. I don't think I've we're in July now. I don't think I've read a better, better, better graphic novel or novel or nonfiction book this year. So highly recommend you guys go out and um, get a copy. Cole, oh yeah. man, uh, thank you. I've got two copies, and you no one can have either of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely my book of the year too. Uh, I would recommend you get it. I'm not going to say anything, but I think it deserves some awards whose name I will not say. Uh, I would, I would heavily recommend it. Um, will, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great interview. Yeah. And, uh, th thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and just a, a quick heads up guys, the second season of my other, one of my other uh, many podcasts is going to be starting soon. Um, uh, audiobookish and, 
we hope to have the next episode out in about three weeks time so keep your ears open for that one as well thanks thanks uh, everyone thanks um thanks well thanks so much guys absolute pleasure thanks